0: It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's
1: Bigfooty final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.
2: From the grassroots to the elite, from the juniors to the pros, covering the Aussies trekking the glows to the champions internationally. Welcome
3: to The First Serve, your home of tennis.
1: Hello, welcome everybody. Monday nights they roll around thick and fast. Good evening and welcome to the first serve. It is your home of tennis if you're stumbling across us for the very first time and you can always dial this number 1300 736 736. If you want to weigh into the tennis conversation or on the text tonight, 0433 98 11 16. Brett Phillips alongside my trusty right hand man, Sam Groth, 2015 Newcombe medalist. We just sort of now just you know, give a, a slightly briefer version of the resume. It goes for a while. But the most important thing we get across, which as I said last week, Groth, he won't be broken as far as I'm concerned. The uh, fastest serve ever in the history of the game. Take that to the bank. Good to see you. I can see you. I can hear you even though we've been separated for an eternity. How are you going? How's your week been? VP. Great. It's been a good week. I just moved back home. I've
0: been staying down the beach for a couple of weeks at my wife's grandmother's beach house and right. finally back in my own abode, which is nice. Nice to be back here, settled in a little bit this afternoon. And, yeah, not not too much else happening, though. It's pretty quiet still. Obviously, we've got a little bit of freedom back. We're able to see some friends over the weekend. But, yeah, yeah other than that, it's it's still fairly quiet.
1: And there's a bit of tennis being played around the world. Not that I'm yep. overly sort of digesting it, Grothy. I mean, you know, the WTA, there was a little bit of action going on there with either Tom Lenovich and Alison Risk in Florida on the weekend. Uh, not that it drew my... Attention! I, I, I'm really struggling with the whole concept of no crowds. I've got to get my head around that and who knows what's going to happen. But I tell you what, if it was a normal year, Grothy, this is what we'd be hearing. I heard this for two weeks on site at Roland Garros, Tom o, If we can just get this up underneath here. All the time. This is at Roland Garros. It would have started yesterday. Uh, Rafa aiming for his 13th French Open, can you believe? Ashbarty looking to defend. It does take me back because it was my first time to Roland Garros. And you go in thinking, well, probably Ashbarty is not going to win in the lead up. But then you get to the end of the first week, Sam, and we all looked at each other and thought, gee, the way the draw is panning out, she yep. could win this. Absolutely win it. And it was just brilliant to be there. There's something about Paris, there's something about the French. I know the Clay hasn't always been <laughs> kind to you and plenty of Aussies across the journey, but uh, Paris is an amazing city.
0: Oh, it certainly is. It's an incredible place. I've got great memories. You talk about not liking it there. I love it. I'm last eight club at the French Open. I made semis of the doubles there. I love that place. Yeah. I got engaged to my beautiful now wife, Britt. Yeah. Great
1: memories from that city, BP. Well, I tell you what, I've been going back through a few clips, uh, including this one. Get out of town, mate. Oh, God. You had to bring that up, didn't you? (laughs) One of the great on-court quotes.
0: It was. It was the quickest. My quickest ever loss at a grand slam. That one. I mean, to be honest, he's done it, Raf has done that to a lot of people at the French yeah. Open. It's not the tournament you want to play him at.
1: No, I, I just want to say, now, I've watched that match. I don't think the scoreline really uh, gives a true indication because in that highlights package, you hit some great shots. Unfortunately, yeah. you're just playing the guy who just doesn't get beaten in Paris. No,
0: and it rained It rained for two days before that match, too. The clay was so heavy. I mean, it's a nightmare draw anyway. I was playing terrible coming into the French Open. I hadn't played a clay court lead-up event. i draw Rafa, and I tell you, I was onto the grass courts very, very quickly after that.
1: I just would love them to underpan the crowd after you said, get out of here, mate, just to see the French reaction. <laughs> What's he seeing?
0: Why is that big? Bald guy yelling out something obscene.
1: A bit more of you to come. uh, Stay tuned. French Open Tournament director, uh, my man Guy Forget, he's indicated that the Roland Garros Grand Slam may be pushed to the end of September and can spill over into early October. So he's spoken across the weekend. The official quote, and this was on uh, French Radio Europe 1. I have to thank Europe 1 because we would not have called Ash Barty's win last year without Europe 1 who came to the rescue with some great gear. Uh, the official announcement has not been made yet. It, the French Open, will probably be between the end of September and the beginning of October. France, obviously in a, a better position than what New York is in terms of the coronavirus. We've been working closely with the ATP, the WTO, the ITF to make a global announcement on what the circuit will be like until the end of the year, many question marks All the stuff that we sort of know, they're not totally putting a ruler through it, but yeah, you know, D Day is going to be Sam. You know, in, in around about a couple of weeks in mid June. Well, and the thing with the French Open is they've been the
0: ones that have flipped and flopped and changed. And you know, when Wimbledon came out and wasn't going to play, it's been the French Open picking and choosing dates and moving. I don't know. I think they maybe just need to cut their losses. I just, know,
1: but the losses are going to be significant, aren't they? Particularly, yes, they for will them be more That's so true. than the U.S. Open. Well, uh, it's, it's interesting
0: though, in and we had a quick conversation about that today about the U.S. Open. Obviously, you know, a lot going on over there. The government now allowing professional athletes back into the country, so there'll be an exemption for for certain athletes across a majority of sports and sports leagues that they're going to run over there, which, you know, it it makes it look like they're still trying to push, obviously, to get their country up and running, but to get sport back and, obviously... The plans around the U.S. Open are a big
1: part of that. I was just watching the Channel Ten news before jumping in the saddle here tonight. Donald's on the golf course. He's played golf <laughs> two days in a row. Donald Trump and the country's out of control. Social distancing long forgotten. Uh, the first day of summer, beaches packed, everyone on top of each other, and Donald's got uh, not got a care in the world. Yeah, it's an interesting
0: strategy to go to go with when you're the leader of the country, isn't it? to just pack up your clubs. Hey, I love my golf too, but I'm also not leading the United States of America as their president. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting way to go about things.
1: Now, we have learned earlier today, Sam, that Tennis New Zealand have announced the launch of the New Zealand Premier League to commence on June 3. So the first professional tennis competition... ...in the Southern Hemisphere since the shutdown of uh, tennis. So they've got several uh, ATP pros that will play in that. A few of their juniors are actually going to be live on Sky Sport over in New Zealand. I did attempt to contact Tennis Australia today. I haven't got a response at this stage. No, I haven't mm. heard anything, but I wouldn't Very be surprised
0: quite. if they were trying to do something... ...to maybe get some of the players over there involved... Um, you know, we we know that in the discussions that the government have had that maybe travel to New Zealand will be one of the first things that gets opened up, but yep. you know, June 3, it's, it's incredibly close. I'm not sure I can see it happening. There was word of a, a domestic event supposed to happen last or two weekends ago um, mm. that fell through last moment, mm-hmm. so you know, whether the players can get over New Zealand and what they'd have to do in terms of quarantining and... And all of that, you just wonder whether it is going to be purely a New Zealand event and that we still keep somehow trying to work towards our own event here um, or our own sort
1: of competition at some point. I'm yeah, sure that's being worked through. you real detail uh, unless, you know, you've got your ear to the ground. Fill us in 1300 uh, 736 or on the text 0433 98 So Tennis New Zealand getting things underway. We wait what happens here in Australia. But Grothy, we're going to pay a little tribute to an Australian tennis legend tonight, Ashley Cooper, who, as we learned, has passed away in the last few days, uh, a long illness, 83 years of age. I mean, speaking of Roland Garros being on this week, that was the only Grand Slam he didn't conquer. I mean, a three-time semi-finalist, 1956, 57, 58, four Grand Slam titles, twice at the Aussie Open in 57 and 58, Wimbledon 58, US Open 58. So he almost did the Rod Laver back in the late 50s, uh, won four Grand Slam doubles titles, number one in singles and doubles, and he did
3: play in
1: the golden era of Australian
3: men's tennis. Both my parents were country players in Victoria, they were both school teachers. Dad hung a tennis ball from the veranda outside the house and uh, he used to make me swing and hit the ball, He'd swing and hit it the way he wanted me to do it. So I did that, well, probably every day for 15, 20 minutes.
4: Ashley Cooper he had one of the biggest serves you know for a player in that era. Great backhand. Back in those years, everybody thought that go to the backhand. That's the weaker shot. But this is this is his best shot. His strength.
3: <laughs> Last few years of my career, I never lost to a left-hander, and uh, they'd direct most of their serves to my, my backhand, and I could hit it down the line or across court. I was happy. <laughs> uh, well, this is the first Australian team uh, that I was in in uh, 1954, my first trip overseas. And it was Roy Emerson, that was his first trip also. And Acid Cooper and myself we were 17 years of age and we were chosen as promising juniors. The Orange Boys, we got called, uh, but it was fantastic for our development me up here, uh, Merv Rose, Harry Hopman, Neil Fraser, Lou Hogue, good practice partners. <laughs> Coop was a dyed-in-the-wool trainer and worked hard on his uh, physical strengths uh, to be strong.
4: It's an all-Australian men's tennis final at Wimbledon. Neil Fraser against Ashley Cooper.
3: By that stage, you know, I had enough experience to know that it, I could I could win them. Ashley
1: Cooper, a legend of Australian tennis. Sam, did you did you meet Ashley across the journey?
0: Yeah, I did meet him. I didn't probably have a lot to do with him. Um, you know, I've had a lot to do with a lot of the guys that he's spoken about. Obviously, Neil Fraser and, and the guys that have sort of been based a little bit more here. But I mean, a, a legend. You talk about what he did in 1958. It's incredible to think that he went that close to winning all four majors in a year. And, yeah, it's, you, you just listen to the names that, obviously, are mentioned during that little grab, too. What an era for Australian tennis.
1: Yeah, incredible. Uh, incredible dominance. And now these guys are all still really tight, too, aren't they? You, you see it at the Australian yeah. Open. In my travels around the world last year, you would have seen on tour, they they get together and, you know, they're uh, still really good mates. They were fierce competitors and great mates off the court. This quote from Craig Tiley, the Tennis Australia CEO, over the weekend actually was a giant... Of the game, both as a brilliant player and an astute administrator, he will be greatly missed. His contribution to the sport went far beyond his exploits on the tennis court. His rich legacy includes the magnificent Queensland Tennis Centre, a project that he was passionate about nurturing the development from the very beginning and resulting in the return of world-class international tennis to Brisbane. Actually, uh, married uh, Helen Wood, the reigning. All right for himself. In 1959, right himself, if you don't Mr. mind. Cooper. Well, huh? I'll tell you what, after 1958, uh, he would have been uh, the, the toast <laughs> of the town after making uh, winning three of the four Grand Slams. So, you yeah, absolute legend. Australian Tennis Hall of Fame, Order of Australia, International Tennis Hall of Fame, Queensland Sports Hall of Fame doesn't get any bigger. And uh, certainly, our condolences to the uh, Cooper family. And we recognise a great legend of uh, Australian tennis. Now, on a lighter note, Grothy, this came about during the week. Now, Aussie's only Podcast, which is going gangbusters. Really good listening. It's a chance to have an extended chat with those in Australian tennis. We actually spoke to Daniel Buberis, who you know very, very well, and he had this to say about you last week on Aussies Only.
5: So we're in Aptos, and I was with a bunch of Aussies. Groffy was there, Baldy, Kira Sandland. so we're all at this tournament. Now, this is more of a story about mistaken identity more than anything, so you can <laughs> either look at it racially or not, but I thought it was pretty funny <laughs> at the time, because we all just looked at each other and laughed, and so we're sitting there, and if you've ever been to Aptos, it's at the tennis club there. Have you been there, Eamesy? No, I haven't, no. <laughs> well, it's, it's a richie, snobby, I think, anyway. Fantastic <laughs> sight. Anyway, I was working with Groffy, and we're down there in the gym, and uh, I'm just stretching me out on the mat, and there's this old duck on a treadmill, two old ducks, uh, you know, that sort of rich, uh, white, 70s, 80s, the Tyrees living in the village there and they're sort of watching us stretch and Grothy had his Vikings beard happening at the time and, and I'm, I had my back face to them and Grothy's laying down looking up towards them and one of them sort of leaned over as she's just plodding away on the treadmill and asked Grothy, oh, you don't happen to be from Sweden by any chance, <laughs> Grothy being, go- yeah, yeah, I'm from Sweden, so, why do you ask, oh, your beard, your beard, so I thought, okay, well, that's, that's okay, that's funny, we're just looking at and then the old duck looks at me and goes, um, what sort of Chinese- medicine, are you performing? And I'm thinking, well, this is just called a hamstring stretch. And then she had the audacity to say, oh, so are you from North Korea? Rightio. Okay, so that, whilst, whilst it's not an outlandishly funny story, but I think just the whole context of it just typified where we were at the time.
1: i, I got to say, it was a, a great edition of Aussies Only last week. He's a pretty inspiring guy. Danny Berberis, the Project Six Foundation he's got going. He's doing some work at Port Adelaide Footy Club these days, yep. but a man you spend a bit of time on the road with and there'd be many more yeah. stories we probably can't tell, Sam.
0: Oh, there's plenty out there that you can't <laughs> tell, but no, he's a great guy. I think just if if you listen to his story as well obviously coming from the philippines and growing up as an orphan and moving to australia and the opportunity he was given um he obviously worked with us he's our davis cup uh, strength conditioning guy for a long time spent a lot of time on the road but Mm. um a quality guy and obviously we miss him a little bit in tennis great to when we spoke a couple of weeks ago with eddie winter that he's still involved with some of the the juniors over there in south australia because he's got a lot to offer which is great to hear
1: Yeah, no doubt. So you can check out that edition and all our Aussies-only podcasts at thefirstserve.com.au forward slash podcasts. Now, we did receive this feedback, Sam, during the week to last week's show, which you can listen to, by the way, uh, at thefirstserve.com.au forward slash live radio. All our past shows are there. What a great chat you had with Peter Della and Glenn Busby. Thanks for spending so much time talking about grassroots tennis. This is so much more interesting and relevant to me than just simply talking about the ATP and the WTA too. It's such a great episode. That's from Matt Carroll, ACES Sports Therapy. A little plug there, many in Cochran's Road and very much heavily involved in tennis. I think we have Matt on the radio a few weeks ago. And it's an interesting point, Sam, because what we aim to do here on a Monday night is, is to try try and cover the sport from every angle we can. We have a limited time. That's why we're creating additional podcast content. And the whole ethos has always been to cover the sport from the elite to the grassroots. But that's sort of rung home to me. Of all the years I've been involved in local footy, and it's nearly 20 years I've had involvement, there are so many people in clubland in local footy who have a passing interest in the AFL. They had their team. They might go to an occasional game at the MCG or Marvel Stadium, but their life is their local footy club. And probably no different in tennis land out there. And I read a lot of the forums, uh, during a week, the people, the issues about grassroots tennis, and that's that's their focus. Yeah,
0: and I got a little bit of the same feedback through my social media channels, a few people reaching out, and I think also being able to ask some of those tough questions of, of the people at that level too, and really trying to dig in a little bit deeper yeah, you know, I think it's been it's been great for us to probably be able to tackle some of these issues that we we don't normally do when tennis is in full swing because there's so much going on week in week out on the yeah. tour that we sometimes forget the little things that are happening here. Well, that might seem little in the in the grand scheme, but to what's happening in terms of getting tennis back to we all want it to be. You talk about that golden era that we used to have when you mentioned Ashley Cooper. Mm. Well, you know this is where it's all going to start, and that's what we've been lucky enough to sort of dive into a little bit in the last
1: few weeks. Yeah, absolutely. We'll continue to do that after the break as well. One. 300 736 736 if you want to jump in to the tennis conversation anything you want to put on the agenda 0433 98 we're here thanks to Top Agents Real Estate servicing all of Melbourne if you live here or you're looking to move to Melbourne why wouldn't you and looking to buy, rent, sell or have their property investment managed David and his team happy to take your call right throughout the week in the office 955 845 or check out their website top-agents.com.au you can follow them on Facebook and Instagram plenty more to come the first serve off and running on a Monday night <laughs> The first serve, your home of tennis. Welcome back, Brett Phillips. Sam Groth with you on this uh, Monday night talking uh, the world of tennis. 1 736 736. Jump on and add your thoughts to the conversation. What been Uncle Tony? In the last uh, few days, uh, Groth, he's done an interview on Eurosport with uh, Mats Philander. He said, in his own words, these are his quotes Roger Federer, the 20 time Grand Slam champion is the GOAT and his personal favourite player to watch apart from his nephew of course. For me he's a wonderful player, I like a lot to watch Roger. If I was not the uncle or the coach of Rafael I want Federer to win all the matches. I like how he plays, he's very elegant very effective. I know Federer is the best ever. I don't know. Maybe with Rod Laver, Raphael not too far behind, but Federer is the best. It's very diplomatic, isn't it? If I wasn't the coach of Raphael
0: or the uncle of Raphael, then I would think Federer was the best. Well, okay, no worries, Uncle Tony. I know what you're saying. It's, yeah. it's a debate that we're never, I don't know, we're not going to come up with a winner in that debate for a long time.
1: No, but I, I will maintain the thought that I, I don't think it should just be based on stats. I'd I read all these forums Well, if if Novak at the end of the day wins more majors than Rafa and Roger he's the greatest of all time. I don't think it's purely based on stats. Anyway, we need another show probably to uh, debate a lot. But Grothy, let's revisit a discussion. We've been having the past couple of weeks which has really got some good feedback through our social media channels a lot of people passionate about the pathway the grassroots space. Tennis Australia have been doing their athlete performance review. Firstly, Wally Masua, the head of professional tennis at TA, who was on our show a fortnight ago.
6: The idea is to throw a lot of that development back at the talent stage, back to the private sector. Tennis Australia will certainly invest heavily in players between the age of 15 to 23, and that's the idea behind the, um, you know, centralising everything at the Brisbane Academy and coach-driven programs as well as funding. And then the idea beyond that is kind of simplified philosophically to try to get to a point where we're facilitating the players to start to make more of their own decisions and invest more in their own programs 24 and above. So at the
1: start there Wally making reference to that 10 to 15 age group. Last week Peter Delavidova the private coach in Clubland gave us his view. He's out at Wonga Park here in Melbourne and talking about that 10 to 15 age group.
4: Look this is going to be a tough thing for Wally. He's a a really good bloke. I mean we've been mates since he was 15. It's not easy this age group. I personally like the feel that the private coaches are going to be able to have more say in what these kids are doing. Most clubs and most coaches have got facilities that could look after the players, probably from five in Victoria and beyond. But when you're dealing with the absolute elite player, then you're going to need a special program for that particular private coach, and then you have to um, be prepared to go down that way.
0: And then will they still feel that they're being taken yep. away when they've built them up, even at a later age now? So at 15, they might be the best player in Australia, and they're
4: still going to yep. be taken away and moved in. To state yeah sam that's exactly the negative that's the first thing i thought about i mean when you actually deal with elite players as a private coach you have to understand that when you take someone on you take them on and it's not like coaching someone normal you you take on the emotional side it's it's actually quite traumatic if you really because every time they have a good day you have a good day every time they have a bad one you have a bad one and it's an emotional roller coaster. So you ride that, you know, you tend to, when when you're dealing with young, serious players, the first thing a, a coach who takes that player on, the first thing you do is you say, right, okay, they're gonna need a lot of work, which means financially you'll, you you will set up different deals and you will set it up so that, you know, you might coach them early in the morning and late at night and you still run your normal business. But what happens, you really put the, the, the blood, sweat and tears into that player and you'll go and you'll give up your weekends and you'll go and watch them play. and, And like I said, you ride the wave. Now, if you do that, this is the downside, if you do that from the time they're 10 to 15 and then and then they go to Tennis Australia and up to Brisbane, yeah, there will be a few coaches that would probably feel like, OK, these players have been taken from us. But hopefully there's going to be some sort of plan that enables the, the coach to feel still attached to the player because that is the hardest thing.
1: Yeah, it was a great chat with Peter Delavadova last week. We also spoke to uh, Glenn Busby, two private coaches. We wanted to, Grothy tonight, get a a parent perspective who also doubles as a coach as well. So seeing it from both sides, uh, Fiona Vanstone who leads the coaching set up at Strathmore Tennis Club here in Melbourne. She's also a parent to 12-year-old Charlotte who's showing a lot of promise. In fact, he's uh, coached by Mark Sifoulis, our high-performance coaching voice and hosting of our Crunching the Numbers uh, podcast and has been involved in the tennis australia program so fiona really appreciate you coming on the show
6: hi brett hi sam thanks for having me
1: pleasure you've had a chance to listen to wally there to peter we are having a little chat off air uh, today i might get you just to put your parent hat on first before you put your coaching uh, hat on because you're on this journey with your young daughter who from all reports i've been told has got a lot of potential there's no guarantees in this uh, brutal sport but just take us through the journey you've been on as a parent of a, a young girl who clearly has some ambitions.
6: Yeah, okay. Well, I think we've been in the tennis program, Tennis Australia program for a while now. Charlotte started through Super 10s when she was about eight. And then when she was 10, she got invited into the junior development team that trained out of Melbourne Park. And then when she turned 12, she she became part of the state development team. So she still trains out of Melbourne Park twice a week for six hours a week, plays 20-plus tournaments a year. I would say does twenty around 20 hours a week of training. So I was a full-time player.
0: And Fiona, thanks for joining us. But um, just when you go through and you think about that program, we talk about the program that your daughter Charlotte is in, is that going to be difficult for you to come out of that TA-supported site and go into the private sector?
6: Definitely, yes. Um, just because she's been involved in it for so long. And I'm not even sure what the new pathway looks like yet. I mean, I know that from 15 plus, they'll train, I think, out of Brisbane more full time. And they're looking to go back to the regional squads like the old McDonald's squads and Shell squads. But I'm not sure where that leaves my daughter from 12 to 15.
1: Uh, can you just give us your perspective of, of the TA program and what you've experienced with Charlotte being in that program?
6: Yeah, sure. Well, she's loved it. So, it's, you know, they're like-minded kids. They all train. They all work really hard. Um, they've become really good friends. So they love going to training. I think the coaches have been great. They've supported her really well. They've showed an interest in in all the kids from what I've seen. Um, They've supported them at nationals and come to private lessons to have a look at them, have their private lessons, given their private coaches feedback, emails. You know, quite often they get emails to check up on, on the kids. So I think the Tennis Australia program has been great for my daughter. I would love to see more, not less. So I don't know which way it's going to go because I think if, if Charlotte loses those two squads a week, we're going to have to find alternative ways of training and I just don't think the private sector is going to do it because private coaches are no. already so busy. And if I called my coach and said, I would like three privates a week now, he's not going to be able to fit it in.
0: And You can reflect on this if you think it's similar, know, For these coaches that are going to take these elite kids on uh, in the private sector, it's going to have to almost be a passion project for them. They're not going to be able to charge full rate, I don't think. They're going to have to invest time. Just listening back to Peter speak in that, grab their VP as well. The time it takes to go out and watch a kid play tournaments on weekend, and you know, invest and look at how they can improve. And then my other question is, you know, as someone who is a coach and juggles that coach parent relationship, how many of these private facilities actually have everything? There, So access to gym or strength conditioning and the things that the players do get as a part of the Tennis Australia program now, how many of these facilities are actually going to be able to accommodate a player that's looking to reach that top level and, and then join, I guess, the national program from 15 years of age?
6: Yeah, well, I mean, I don't think they, they do have the facilities to do it. I mean, we work with Tennis Australia, Kuyong, Maribyrnong, you know, hitting partners, match play. I get on court with her. I mean, it takes a whole team. It can't really be done in one... I don't think it can be done in one club with a private coach.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's that's sort of the feeling I'm starting to get. Obviously, there's going to be different environments, and you've obviously brought Mark Safoulis on, VP. We know him really, really well, obviously, on the program, as you've mentioned. And I guess it leads me probably to my next question, Fiona, is how do you balance that being a tennis coach and being a parent role as well? Have you... Uh, I know you just mentioned you do get on court with your daughter, which I think is great because you're able to get out and hit. But how do you juggle that parent-coach relationship? And who normally wins in that conflict for you internally? (laughs)
6: Uh, No one wins. (laughs) We argue a lot. So that's why I've had to you know, employ private coaches for Charlotte because it just doesn't work with me. We just butt heads all the time. So, yeah, I've I've, I've had to go outside. I'll, I'll get on court with her sometimes, but mostly it's her her team, like, you know, at Tennis Australia and Maribyrnong and her private coaches, she has to, yeah, we just work around that. Fiona, what what's the,
1: the biggest challenge of being a parent of a, a young boy or girl who's got a lot of promise and is going to start to move through these pathway programs? I mean, you know, a lot of people have said to me privately, unless you've got some bucks and you've got some dollars, this is just so hard. Uh, I mean, Tennis Australia yeah. will give some funding to a degree, but can you just take us behind the scenes of just the challenges from a parent's perspective?
6: Yeah, I think financially that's probably the biggest challenge. Private lessons are very expensive to start with. Travel, like we've already, we haven't gone overseas yet. We've gone interstate to almost all the states in Australia. So, you know, hotels, tournaments, All of those expenses add up. I'm not sure how we'd afford traveling overseas for her to play. She's only young still, but eventually you have to do that. I'm not sure there's a lot of parents that can afford to provide that to their kids. And then you see a lot of kids already training in academies full time, which you know can be like a hundred thousand dollars a year.
0: I think this has been the problem a little bit here in Australia. BP is because we are so isolated, and obviously it's something we've touched on about this. And I know we're going to go into it again, but this whole domestic competition and where's our pathway come in? And yeah, okay, we're talking about a twelve-year-old right now, so not quite at the level that we've been speaking about. But how do we facilitate more people being able to play tennis and make a living in this country and make it more accessible? Um, you know, I can walk five hundred meters down here to my local football field, pull on a pair of footy boots, and mm. and that's my fees for the year. You know, maybe I buy my jersey and my my shorts. Where tennis sits. Weeks and weeks and weeks, even as a junior player, weekends away, you're probably spending 20, I mean, you can probably tell us how many, Fiona, but 20 weekends away playing tournaments, you're going interstate. It's that whole debate again about how do we create tennis more accessible here as
6: well. Yeah, well, I think Charlotte played 27 tournaments last year. A lot of them were interstate, and then we had to go to Perth for nationals, and there was Bruce cup and, and um, all of that. So I don't even want to add up how much money I, I spent mm-hmm. last year, but it only gets more expensive, I know that. Myself, So I'm not sure how everyone's going to cope with that if their child does continue. If you had thing. a blank
1: canvas yep. and you were asked, we yep. want your serious input here. I mean, have you thought about how this could be better? I mean, we tend to... And I'm trying not to focus on all the negatives all the time because we know... We know the outstanding benefits of playing tennis and I'll play a little grab from Chris Bates very shortly because I know you personally went down the college pathway and and maybe college tennis could become really attractive from an academic and a tennis point of view down the track for many more uh, young Aussies but have you thought what the best path is going forward?
6: Well, I mean I would love to see an academy in Australia like a full-time academy mm. for kids to train out of yep. but we don't I don't we don't have one of those yet. I mean I'd like to give Charlotte the opportunity to go on to go and train at an academy overseas. but I think college tennis is the way everyone's looking because it's the only affordable option at the moment for most people. So everyone thinks I'll play college tennis, I'll play college tennis because they know that trying to turn pro, it's just too expensive.
0: Yeah. I'm not sure an academy here in Australia is feasible. We, I just don't think we have the population to do and the competition to bring a full-time academy. I think that's where it's fallen back on Tennis Australia quite a lot to try to create that environment. That's what they've tried to do with their national academies mm. over the last period of time. I, I can speak from the college system because my wife played Division One college tennis uh, in the US and came back with a, a marketing communications degree. Yep. Um, obviously, was never going to take her tennis to the pro level, but... Um, you know, she had that experience where, especially as a female, with the way the scholarship system works over there. You no, know, obviously football on the women's, like uh, American football. Um, you know, had a full ride to a to a top business school and and played four more years of tennis. I think it. I think it's a great way to go if you're not at that elite elite level where you're pushing and knocking on the door at 18 years of age.
6: Yeah, and that's the reason I had to take that path because opportunities weren't knocking on the door, and I I wasn't at that level. So college tennis was still a great opportunity, and I loved every second of it. But, I mean, I know my daughter would like to go further than that. So I'm just trying to, yeah, I guess we're all looking for our options of what we can do. Time on
1: the wing for us tonight. We would love to chat a bit more, but we've got to keep pushing along. But it's just interesting to hear from a parent some of the challenges. There are, you know, many advantages of, you know, pushing your kids into a sport and uh, their dreams. And and hopefully whatever happens, people become better people out of playing, um, you know, competitive sport. There's no doubt the advantages there. But, hey, thank you, Fiona, just for giving us a little bit of an insight on the show tonight.
6: No no problem. Thanks, for
1: having me. Fiona Vanstone uh, out there at Strathmore Tennis Club and her young daughter Charlotte being coached by Mark Sefullis of course at the uh, Melbourne International Tennis School at uh, As I've just had a massive uh, collapse here in the studio (laughs) but we're still alive. Samuel but Chris Bates who heads up Study and Play USA he and his wife Alexia they have sponsored our show and been great supporters they've started a great little podcast called In the Huddle and Chris just reflecting on the uh, college pathway system
2: My experience personally was phenomenal. I I went to a place called Oklahoma State University. I was lucky enough to have a full scholarship to go play tennis there. And four years later, I traveled across a lot of America and playing tennis with my newfound teammates from all around the world and walked out of there with a business degree that was very reputable. Came back to Australia and realized a lot of people really were very curious about that pathway and, and maybe, you know, how do we go about doing it? So started helping some people a couple of hours here and there, and then very quickly, 30, 40 hours a week of my time I was giving to to help people get on the right track. In hindsight, the best four years of my life, really in terms of growth and development for me as a person, the four years for me really shaped me because I was able to grow up, I guess, on the other side of the world, whilst playing the sport i loved it helped me realize that i was a very good tennis player but probably not quite good enough to to go professionally which i originally wanted to do it helped me realize i was actually a pretty good student after all which i I probably didn't view myself as a good student prior to college america has a way of helping people find i guess themselves and finding you know what they're good at and for me you know my academic achievements over there probably in the end surpassed my tennis achievements in my eyes but then again there were plenty of hurdles for me as well and i was able to sort of overcome homesickness bouts and a surgery here and there and all the things that happened for you know for a lot of athletes uh, whilst living away from home so all those types of things held me in good stead There was such amazing support for me over there and look it's getting close to 20 years ago since I finished and I still call Oklahoma my second home which which is probably testament to you know the positive experience that I had.
1: Yeah, it's a really interesting chat. That's just a little brief excerpt, and we'll uh, we'll actually chat to Chris on our show in the coming weeks because we'll look into that college pathway system in a bit more depth, but uh, obviously some massive advantages. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back a bit to get through The First Serve, your home of tennis.
3: The First Serve, your home of tennis.
1: Welcome back to The First Serve, Monday nights. Great Debbie with us. Check out our website, thefirstserve.com.au. Plenty of news, uh, podcasts, Aussies only crunching the numbers going very nicely some great content you can listen to at your own leisure now we did put up grothy on our socials a couple of weeks ago we would love to know your thoughts on tennis having a beefed up domestic competition here in australia not just a short-term substitute during covid 19 but a long-term solution to generate more interest outside of january and to give more players a chance to actually build a pro career from home so i have collated some of the responses. Uh, maddie Keenan, uh, one of the most revered cycling commentators in the world, listens to our show all the time. Uh, loves his tennis. He said the John Millman State v State concept fantastic, which he believes is certainly sustainable post COVID nineteen, particularly as a development pathway for players outside the top one hundred, and gives the sport a team aspect to promote. You'd love to see that if they can find a spot in the calendar to become yeah. an annual thing. It'd be great. Well, I think-
0: and I think the big thing is as well, because you're trying to promote the lesser players, but if you can bring the likes of Leighton Hewitt and Sam Stozer and, and the big names of, of yep. tennis past as well, Pat Rafter, if you can bring these guys in that maybe gets people watching that might not watch a Chris O'Connell, for example, then all of a sudden they will watch Chris because he's playing doubles with Pat Rafter, hypothetically.
1: Yeah, and that is very similar. That's what the whole ATP Cup was. We knew who the A-list stars were. Then there were yeah. the no-names, but you were going there to the event to watch those A-list stars, and here's such-and-such such from Moldova or Bulgaria, and it actually put those those guys you know right into the, the headlines.
0: Yeah, and like anything, if they were to go with the competition, we're talking about wanting to... to bring the opportunity to promote tennis and the players further within this country it's not going to be a one-off fix so the first time you do it people might watch but it's not going to fix it it has to be a repeated thing where every year people look forward to this four week period maybe it's a month-long event that's played you know they play a home and away. you know the, the big states all do or, or yep. something like that. each state gets the opportunity to host their tie or I think, I think it has to be something with with a long-term view as well, and I love that he mentions being post-COVID because I think if they're going to do it, it has to be with that view.
1: No doubt. Steve from Ace Tennis Previews, it's going to be left to a few people to really pioneer and publicise this competition or find itself lost in the noise a bit, so always appreciate Steve's views, passionate tennis fan and supporter of us on the first serve. Mark McGowan, who now works at afl.com.au, Mark, who for a long time had his own uh, website and was really following that lower levels of tennis. would love to see more thought and effort into trying to add an ATP and or a WTA event in Australia during maybe the post-US Open Asian swing period. I mean, we would definitely love to see more tennis. That The calendar's the biggest talking point, Sam. Do you, yeah. do you think we could get to a stage where would, well, we could add another element apart from January? They used to. They used to have an event. I think the Australian Indoors or the
0: New South Wales Indoors was played I think in the second half of the season. So it has happened in Australia previously. I've heard Todd Woodbridge speak to me about that event. I've heard Jason Stoltenberg do the same. So it has happened previously. I know the calendar's so full though now and the ATP's been very strict with how they've constructed the movement through certain geographical zones throughout the year and they don't like to just throw a one off event somewhere. Now I know they try to link it to Asia, but yeah, I mean it has happened before, so whether we would ever see it again, who knows. But again, it doesn't help that lower echelon of player, yep. does it? It still just promotes the very, very top. Yes, it gets tennis on our radar again, but it doesn't necessarily help the players coming through.
1: Uh, Todd Scowler, would be great to have a domestic league similar to the German league, but it's not feasible in a country as big as Australia. There needs to be more futures and challenges here, possibly in the month after the Aussie Open and then after the US Open during the Asian Swing. Possibly the only way would be to take the existing state league model and take it to more regional bases. Currently, not enough fan engagement. For instance, six teams in Victoria, a Melbourne team, try to get a carnival feel for each tie.
0: Well, you have an Aussie tour similar to what they do in golf, BP, like we've discussed many times on this show now.
1: We have. Todd, thank you for your contribution. It's all in the mixing pot. By the time we get to the end of all this, we're going to solve the whole uh, tennis calendar, Sam Or, uh, or we're going to have Q.
0: completely messed it up.
1: CCQ, <laughs> yeah. brilliant idea. We have some great facilities, top-notch training facilities for coaches and physios, officials. We can use all of them for most of the year if it moves around. Make this into a proper tennis nation as well as a social tennis nation especially the youth Uh, pauline uh, shields who listens to our show yes homegrown talent not everyone wants to travel to play think of the uh, the hours saved Uh, julian arnold there almost needs to be a four-week circuit of tournaments in each state futures and challenges for example melbourne could host four futures and a couple of challenges directly after the australian open followed up with a national comp around Uh, where you would recruit one international player, then you move around the country trying to keep the players in Australia for longer?
0: I don't know. It starts to get a bit complicated. The the cost to put on futures and challenges, I think people look at the prize money and and they forget that it actually costs probably double that to go and put a tournament on. And this is where the question is going to come up about how does Tennis Australia support players? Do they go and put more events on domestically or do they fund the players to go travelling overseas? It's always the debate Mm. and there's always those questions amongst the playing group as well as to what they would prefer.
1: Yeah, plenty on the table. We're going to slip in a break. We'll come back with some more responses from you out there contributing to the first serve tonight.
3: The First Serve,
4: your home of tennis.
1: Welcome back, uh, Brett Phillips, Sam Groth. Thanks to Starting From Scratch, they offer their premium glass repair. They specialise in the removal of window scratches, bringing it back to its former glory. They come up an absolute treat. Scratches on the sliding door that the pooches have got hold of to the local milk bar. It's gonna be the graffiti. Head to the website. Good service, I guarantee you. Starting From Scratched. Dot com.au. In regard to a domestic league set up in Australia, a couple more responses. Got the Andrew Nichols, who listens into our show weekly. It would rely on nationally recognised players being involved in TV coverage. World Team Tennis already has a viable concept. When Kerry Packer got World Series cricket going, cricket was at its lowest point nationally. He was a wealthy, business savvy entrepreneur who made it happen. We just need someone like that or TA to step up. We need a ballot-style franchise system. TA would not even have to invest too much money as the return would be very close to the investment up front.
0: Yeah, and we were just having a bit of a chat there off air, and the more we speak about things, I mean, the more we need, I think, to get something up and running domestically. I think we need the best players to be involved and work out how that happens. I think maybe you've got to do it I don't know, leading into the Australian Open? Do you do it in November, December? And if there was a lead that wasn't well, that was run during the time where there was no AFL or no NRL and obviously plenty of listeners to this station love their footy, but if mm-hmm. there was a tennis season that was broadcast that had the best Aussie players as well as the up-and-comers playing in a time that the footy wasn't on, would people engage in it and watch? I mean, we love our sport in this country. I think they would.
1: Yep, no doubt. And it had the buy-in from some of their best and then uh, the rest underneath really get... Promoted well. we find out more about him. As Wally Masua said on the show two weeks ago, the world number 110, the world number 200 for that matter, is a damn fine tennis player. Andrew Kirk seems like each major world region could have its own sort of tour at part of the year if it were packaged and actually uh, sold properly. And bounce tennis coaching would give the lower-ranked players an opportunity to compete at a higher level, give them the chance to develop their skills in a competitive setting. Match play, always good for developing players. Grothy, we've run out of time. Good to see you, my friend. You go and uh, shift something up on a Monday night. And Good weather this so. week. Good week to hit the links for me, I think. I'll, uh... Thank you very much. Uh, we're done. We'll talk to you next week, 6 o'clock, thanks to 100words.com.au. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun,
5: free, and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au.
4: T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP-01005.